This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Hi, I'm Sharad Kutin. Money and power, that's the fuel that Malaysia runs on, perhaps much of the world. But is that enough for social cohesion and guaranteeing quality of life for most of us? Today, we speak to the founder of The Malaysianist, a website dedicated to shining a spotlight on the intersection of power and money in Malaysia. You can share your thoughts with us. You can call us on 7733-2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number, 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It's 6.08, uh, listening to Inside Story, I'm Sharad Kutin. The Malaysianist presents itself as a weekly guide to understanding Malaysian current affairs with a focus on money and power. The newsletter publishes every Saturday and Wednesday at about 8am, so time for breakfast, I guess. The Malaysianist is run by Emmanuel Samaratisa. Emmanuel has edited, copy and written for The Malaysian Insider, Focus Malaysia and The Vibes. He currently covers tech for Singapore-based Tech in Asia. Emmanuel, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, sure. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited uh, because it's a project I think, especially as kind of independent media shrinks in this country, it's so important to, you know, to kind of uh, promote that and support that. And I think in your about section in your website, you do actually talk about how you are free from the encumbrances of big business and, and shareholders and stuff. And so you're largely free. But I want to, so I, well, let's start with you. And before we get into the stories that you're going to be presenting us today, uh, tell us why did you feel the need to start The Malaysianist? Well, I, I mean, I, I've been a, a journalist for some time. And I think it, uh, at a point in my career, it sort of just came to, I just came to a realization that if I want to do this for a very long time, I have to strike it out on my own. And I would have to sort of rethink how uh, media is being done in the country. Uh, I mean, just like anyone else, uh, I was with an, an, an established uh, portal or, yeah, I, I actually yeah, cut my teeth in a, in a news portal. But then, yeah, you know, there were layoffs. Uh, you know, th- there, were, there was all these usual things that come with media. And a lot of my friends at that time also stepped out of media. But I couldn't let go. It, you know, it, it was just odd. I, I mean, I had offers to do cop comms and all that. But after a while, I go like, yeah, this is not for me. So, <laughs> so, so, so the next best thing was to start The Malaysianist. And I think at that time, uh, platforms like Substack um, came online and made uh, creating content much easier and so I decided to check, take a chance on it. Right. I understand, of course, that uh, like myself, I think I was one of the early subscribers um, uh, to your uh, to the Malaysianist. Uh, and it did close down for a, a short while, didn't it? Yeah. So I had to suspend it for a while. So it started, it started in uh, 2020, at the end of 2020. But I clearly underestimated the effort it takes to, to start your own um, newsletter. Because, you know, I was always working for someone. So I was in a structured environment. But when you start your own thing, you're, you're like, what? Is this blank canvas? So, yeah. So it, I, had, I had a bit of a struggle there for, for at least for over two years. Yep. 
Okay, so but you're back online, yes. and um, I'm very glad because I'm, you know, like you, I'm also addicted to um, kind of trying to understand Malaysia, right. especially through our media. Uh, I must admit that the, much of the stuff that you cover, the stories you cover, are not things that I naturally am inclined to read, right? And I, I think this is also part of the reason I wanted to have a conversation with you, because while I understand that you know uh, businesses. Uh, Corporate elites, you know, a, a big money shapes Malaysia in very material ways. I am loath to read the business section of the papers <laughs> unless something really big explodes, right. you know. And uh, but I do think, and I, and so I want to get to this very interesting um, expression that you use in describing what you do. You talk about the intersection of power and money, and so right. I want to know. What do you mean by that? So basically, it's the intersection of business and politics, right? And so we are looking at the forces that shape uh, policy, uh, including the political and the corporate landscape of, of Malaysia. So I'm just positioning myself to be right in the center, you know, where businesses, uh, business and politics sort of intertwine. So, so that's my area of, uh, of coverage. And why is that important for the general public to know? I mean, is your your website of your newsletters, you put it, uh, something for the ordinary person? I know the language is very accessible, but uh, is that your target? Yes, I'm trying to target a, a, a wide, a, as wide as an audience as I can. Um, I'm not really hard finance in that sense or, or economics because that's also not my forte. But, you know, when, when I started covering business, uh, I was always interested in this whole network of, of tycoons and, and businesses and how they interact. And uh, those were some of the stories that I was known for. So it generally just became a natural fit for me. So, so that's how I got into it. Right. In fact, you know, as we go through the show, we're going to be encountering uh, some familiar names, uh, yeah. you know, corporate tycoons, uh, uh, political players, but also some that are less familiar maybe to the ordinary Malaysian, uh, like mm. the story of the Casio King. And right. I, I love that because, you know, that story in particular would be like, I mean, that name, I have no idea. I've never heard of him. I've never heard of his business. Uh, now that it's a, there's a huge scandal around, uh, you know, him, the kind of circulating around him. Yep. I was like, oh, oh, really? And then reading his history itself was so fascinating. How do people make money? How do they come to suddenly uh, be so prominent? You Correct. know, and uh, in, in, like in the case of the Casio King, we'll just get that uh, get to that later. Right. But remember, this is a conversation that uh, we want you to be part of as well. So you can show your thoughts on us on the intersection of a power of money. Tell us, do you? look at business stories. Do you ever think that this is something that's going to impact your life? You can call 7733 Tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Brave Finance Managers, BFM 89.9. It's uh, 17 minutes past six. I'm Sherrod Kutten. This is the Inside Story. And uh, this is Inside Story, rather. And the person who is going to do a lot of explaining is, in fact, uh, in the studio with me, Emmanuel Samaratissa. He is uh, the founder and the journalist behind The Malaysianist. And we're going to ask him to explain several things uh, because this is a show in which we're trying to understand the meaning of 
talking about the intersection between power and money in Malaysia uh, and why it's important for all of us, whether we have an interest in business or not, to understand those dynamics. So, Emmanuel, tell us, the first story that we have on our list, uh, we have five stories, um, is the story of Taib Mahmood, the former governor and, of course, the long-running uh, run, Chief Minister of Sarawak. He was there, I think, for 33, 33 years. 33 years. Yeah. So Taib Mahmood, uh, uh, so-called resignation, or he stepped down, or was pushed aside. We don't really know. It's still murky. Last week, we, in fact, covered uh, this story with Claire Rucastle-Brown from uh, the Sarawak Report right. uh, about his so-called abduction and, you know, the story about his second wife and such. So all that came out. And, and I think for a lot of people, there is a kind of prurient interest in the kind of dr- drama, the melodrama behind that. But there's a bigger story behind Taib Mahmoud. So I want to know, why did you choose to look at his family and the tussle over his wealth? I mean, I mean, Taib Mahmoud, yeah, I mean, he was, he, was a, he was a strong man, right, back in the day. And I mean, there's always a question mark of how wealthy he was, right? So I think Bruno Mansa Fund, I think back in 2012, as estimated his wealth, his total net worth to be about U.S. $16 billion. Uh, That's actually quite a lot. It's quite huge. How reliable are those numbers? I, I'm not sure because at this because it's very hard to gauge his net net worth. You you have um, I mean public listed publicly listed companies, but I think he doesn't uh, surface directly. It's now all with the family right now. And then you also have his uh, private concerns as well. So those are like you know. Uh, away from the public uh, eye. But that's just an estimate. That, that's a public estimate that we have at the moment. And uh, currently, I think there's, there's a tussle over the, the, the shares in, in Chaya Matis, uh, amounting to about 50 million or so. And I think this one is pretty interesting because here you have just this guy who was really strong in his prime and then suddenly just as he gets older and get more frail and all that, and you have this whole family feud happening and it also concerns the way how the Sorokin elites operate as well, because uh, a lot of Sorokin elite families are still in business. I mean, and they're still around. So the question of evidence and data, right? I'm about to get too kind of like in the weeds about this, which uh, is interesting because it does sometimes emerge through these court cases when there is a tussle, uh, like in a divorce uh, yes. proceedings, right? Yes. You will have somebody having to declare what their assets is, right? right? So that is, so these moments become something that you pick up. Is, is, so are you reading... What sections of the paper are you reading to get all this evidence? <laughs> I, I, I read just about any, any normal section any of you guys read. But, you know, like in the case of Taib, right, I, I, I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting learning curve because I realized that the court, the court, the courts in Sabah and Sarawak, if you want to extract some of these uh, documents, it's a totally different process. You have to write into the court and the court will approve uh, before and this is for even for civil cases, it's different from you know uh, over here in Malaya, in the peninsula, where you just need to need the court the, the the case filing, and then just go to the website and you're able to to get them. So in that sense, I'm not even sure if we are able to really get all the court documents uh, regarding uh, regarding the case, except for whatever that's out there in public that's covered by Borneo Post and other media in Sabah and Sarawak. Why did you think it was important to tell this story? Because I mean, we, we have someone here who has extreme, I mean, a lot of influence, and and here we are seeing this this whole thing being torn apart, or, or at least uh, as what has been portrayed in the media. Uh, but you know, you're looking at someone who, you know, who's someone like like a Mahathir. You know what I mean? Uh, he is always he 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 always he 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 built his power and wealth based on his connections with the 
with with Malaya and and, and peninsula uh, and in the peninsula. And so I thought that this would be very interesting to see because here we have someone who's always on the on the lips of everybody, right? You think about Sarawak, I think about Taib Mahmoud, you know? And so so that was one reason why I really picked picked this guy out. Yeah, and, you know, I think when looking back at uh, his history, he did serve in the federal government yes, for, for some years, right? Seven yes. years or so before he, because of circumstances changing in Sarawak, before he went back. But during those seven years, right. he developed a very um, with firm friendship with uh, Dr. Mahathir. Correct. I mean, was that something that you felt, uh, you know, always uh, plays into these stories that you do, connections between people? Correct. Yeah, I, I think that's that's always been the case. Um, I mean, even though there's no... Um, I mean, there's no allegations of wrongdoing or anything Ill- illegal here, but you, you, you see that there's always these connections here and there, and somehow or the other they sort of uh, spill over into policy making, into politics. Even when you talk about the, the the growth of a business, right? So the Thai family, for example, is uh, I mean, there are two two big two of the largest concerns are Chai Mata Sarawak and also Sarawak Cable. And both of these companies are like the largest in their respective sectors, you know. So, so you're looking at really huge companies that 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 were that were that were that they grew under under someone like Tai Mahmoud. What else do we know about his the the spread of his interest? Do can you kind of give us a a, a kind of simple so, list of what is it that his family might in fact be involved in? I think what what's public well, uh, in the public domain is that I think they are. The, the current the two it's, it's either cables uh, that's via straw cables and cement uh, Chai Mata Sarawak so those are the two major ones and I think uh, Chai Mata if I'm uh, I think there were six to seven uh, so called type link stocks type here being linked to the family and um, I don't have the list of hand, of hand with me neither do I want to neither want to get it wrong <laughs> in case because these are some some of them are listed companies right so I have to be very careful here but there were six to seven of them uh, and uh, the only two I remember offhand right at the moment is um, Chai Mata and Strava Cable. Yeah, I'm glad you're being careful because I think uh, in telling these stories, it is important to get our uh, facts right and also not to uh, right. make allegations Correct. or summations <laughs> that, you know, uh, inferences that are probably uh, not there. And this is also, I think, one of the difficulties in it because sometimes there's a lot of talk in the media. And I'm reading some of your pieces. You say you spoke to somebody and so on. I mean, your sources, I guess, are protected. But um, there are things that the industry or players in the industry know but are not necessarily via, uh, verifiable or things that you can, as a journalist, triangulate. So how do you get over that problem? I, I guess I guess we we just have to be. I just have to be very careful. Uh, that's as much as I can do. Try to reach out to to different parties or try to cite uh, reliable sources. But there's always that risk of of you know being uh, you know always you're just very near you know just one step away from a suit kind of thing. <laughs> Okay, let's hope you don't, in fact, get sued. But okay, let's talk about actually this posting that you had in mid-January titled Sarawak Plays Its Unbeatable Hand, in which you wrote, and I'm going to quote you here, you say, Sarawak's economic development timeline can be surmised this way. Timber in the 1960s and 70s, infrastructure and land in the 80s, infrastructure, oil and gas and renewable energy today. 
But at every corner, sorry, and at every corner, natives have found themselves to be the short end of the stick. Now, this is the part I really, I mean, I, I love the summation because it's yeah. something that I struggle with. It's yeah. so nice to have somebody just in one sentence sum it all up. But more importantly is who's benefited from Sarawak's development? Why did you say it? precisely that way. Okay, So, I mean, you're looking at things like, you know, the, the Bakun Dam, for example, and, I mean, the the natives, I mean, they, they I mean, there were already public reports about them not, uh, I mean, not benefiting directly from this, you know, I mean, uh, and also, the, when I wrote that, at that time, I think, Srawa just proposed uh, cascading uh, dams, right? And then, I think, there was a, there was a, there was a, Story that Abang jo- where Abang Johari was quoted as saying is that the natives gave gave it the green light, but then the, then the natives came and said, "No, we we did not agree to anything." Yeah, because you're talking about being displaced, you're talking about losing your homes, and uh, so there's always this, this tension here where you have um, big bit. So in the Sarawak today, now I mean it, it's it's a very the state is very interventionist. It's a very uh, strong, powerful state, you know, um, and especially it, it it consolidated power under Abang Abang Joe. You see, I mean, you had the Development Bank of Sarawak, for example. So you had all these moves coming in, very strong, powerful state. So of course, the state benefits from this. But then, whether it trick, I mean, I don't want to use the word trickle down because it's kind of cliche and I, I, I don't think it works. So, but at the same time, whether Everybody benefits from this. That's a big question mark. And uh, I also just wanted to just uh, correct myself earlier. I mean, there have been allegations of 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 type. I mean, of type Mahmoud Mahmoud and uh, his involvement in business, but we don't have yet any strong. Uh, I mean. Uh, charges against him, you see. So, for example, I think I mean, the MACC uh, commissioner, uh, Azambaki, right, he said, yeah, they investigated type, but couldn't find any wrongdoing. So, 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 so that's always that tension there, you know, with people like him. Okay, uh, talking about a strong state, I mean, this is also part of the what you wrote. You talked about um, the takeover of Bintudu Port, Mass mm. Wings, uh, which is the Rural Air yes. Service arm of Malaysian Av- Aviation Group, as well as Sarawak upping its stake in uh, the Bursa-listed financial institution, Afin Bank. I mean, so for so somebody like me, I mean, it doesn't actually mean anything. I mean, right. what does something like this actually signify? So... Y- so, so I, I mentioned earlier that under Abang Joe, you had a very strong, you have a very strong interventionist state. Um, so you you are you are seeing a, a Srawa that is that that wants to, to to own, uh, you know, all the major sectors of 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 the economy. So, for example, you have power supply. So it, it now fully owns power supply, right? It, it doesn't depend on, on, on the federal government to set its own tariffs. That's why I think there's a, there was a uh, article, I think, in the tech por- portal, Soya Chin Chao, that they said that it's it's easy, it's cheaper to to, to charge uh, in, in Sarawak than in the peninsula simply because they can set their own rates, you know. And so 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 he's, he's moving in and, and trying to get, uh, trying to sort of take control of all of these uh, these, these sectors to be an or to, to 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 bring to bring the state to a level where it's very independent. So you may, if you have your own bank, you have your own bank. You can finance SMEs. That's what he wants to do. You know, you you don't uh, you don't need to 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 look elsewhere. You you have your own development bank. So like even when it came to uh, Chinese investments, right from China, uh, I mean they they are independent enough to say that okay, look, uh, they can they don't need to really rely on China, even though they're open to China. So a lot of Chinese uh, partnerships are still still around the Kuching part of part of part of the state. 
So you, yeah. you have these things working out. Yeah, and there's been a lot of uh, king, uh, news around uh, Sarawak's plans for the future. Correct. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. We're going to go uh, to the news shortly. I'm speaking to Emmanuel Samaratisa. He's a journalist and founder of The Malaysianist. Remember, we're talking about the importance of news where you see the intersection between power and money. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can send us a voice note at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bright Formidable media. BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 6.38. Uh, you're listening to the Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kutten. My guest today, Emmanuel Samaratisa, is a journalist and founder of The Malaysianist. Uh, we're talking about the intersection of money and power in Malaysia, the work that The Malaysianist has set out for itself to do. You can share your thoughts uh, on what you believe are the intersections of money and power, or just any questions that you might want to ask Emmanuel as well. You can call 7733-2900. You can uh, tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at uh, 018-789-8899. We do, in fact, Emmanuel, have two questions. So oh. they come in the form of WhatsApp. Uh, Emmanuel, will you be able to shed light on Robert Tan's connection to Desmond Lim? Yeah, yes, I would, and you have to stay tuned for that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? We are going to get to Robert Tan uh, later in the show. So, um, M, please stay tuned. Okay, we also have this message from Itam. No wrongdoings, no allegations. Did I hear it wrongly? Is I, I, I think I had the appropriate, uh, um, you know, uh, emotional interjections there. Yeah. You know, so do you think, I mean, for people who who just surprised yep. that there's actually, or the MACC found no uh, proof of any wrongdoing. I mean, are you surprised? Yeah. I mean, I mean that has been the, 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 the response, right? And, um, yeah, so, I mean, there's another example that I could give, uh, yeah, so one would be, and this was also in the Straits, Straits Times article on, on Type's wealth recently. You know, Straits Times Singapore. S- Singapore, Singapore right. Straits Times, right? And so basically, you know, f- financial services, uh, they, they, were, they were used by the Sorakian firms that were owned or controlled by the, 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 the family. You know, this, uh, this, they were part of suspicious transactions between uh, 2006 and 2009, that saw uh, HSBC pay you know billion dollar fines to settle uh, money laundering investigations, but you see there was no criminal element or prosecution that was leveled against uh, the, the the family. Uh, I mean the firms that were controlled by these families. You see, so you have this kind of disparity there. So HSBC paid the fine, but then it doesn't. It stops at HSBC, you know. And there's no revelation yes. of that. Okay, so there's a, I guess there's, you know, and I think we see this all the time, right? The, uh, financial institutions, regulatory boards, they try to do their best, so they do whatever they do. Yes. And the question is whether the public is any wiser as to what actually happened, right? Precisely. Okay, so uh, that's your answer, Itam. I hope you're satisfied with that. Um, we're now going to move on to our next story, and this involves the Armed Forces Fund Board, or the LTAT. Uh, just a quick um, note. For anybody who does not know what the LTAT is, it's a government-linked investment corporation, uh, and it involves the armed forces of Malaysia. So uh, officers, I understand, don't have to participate in the fund. It's voluntary. This is kind of a retirement fund, I guess, in some ways, right? Uh, It's a pension fund. And the armed forces of other ranks, however, 
are compulsory contributors, right? And they're required to contribute a portion of their monthly salary to the LTAT with the government contributing as an employer. Now, I mm. couldn't find numbers on how many people contribute to the fund. What I did find are numbers of uh, the, of members of the Ankara Malaysia, you know, it's about 116,000 yeah. uh, with about 110,000 active members. Mm. So the news hook for the story, of course, is the departure of Abad Nizam Abdul Rahman as the fund CEO. Tell yeah. us why was this story important? So you you have this guy here who who departed as the fund CEO right in the middle of of, of at a time where the fund is restructuring some of his investments. So. So so he leaves, and it was I think I think after about two years ish or so he just le- he leaves right, and it was kind of abrupt because you know the the he he was he he was overseeing this this effort to to sort of um, ensure that LTAT remains a uh, I mean has has a strong balance sheet you know it's 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 a healthy entity and in and a healthy institute right providing dividends for its members and so on, and then just right after he leaves the chairman leaves and then there's this funny thing going on here where the 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 initially it was reported that the chairman uh re- retired but then he comes and corrects and uh, it and says no i didn't retire i resigned <laughs> and then and then after the minister replies and says that yeah you know he resigned and retired he resigned <laughs> so and retired so so you have this so you have these things going on here but the 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 context i mean the concern is that you know this is a fund that takes care of a very crucial part of of the of the civil service right the, the armed forces and um, and we know how important the armed forces are, in, even in even in in politics. When we talk about voting, right? There are some constitutions where the armed forces are a significant voter base. And so and so and so we have this fund here that 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 has duty to a very important group uh, of, of of voters. But at the same time, uh, you have the CEO and the chairman leaving the fund when, you know, it's in the middle of restructuring some of its businesses. Right. So uh, as I understand it, and yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, that part of the problems for the fund have been its reliance or the, on one particular investment it has in Bousted, Bousted right? Yes. Okay, so tell us about that. How this sort of, as you, I mean, this is a technical term, I think, overexposure yeah. uh, has uh, become kind of problematic for the fund. So basically, the the fund, yeah. So because it's 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 exposed to Bowsted, right? Because it it controls Bowsted. So what happens is that it's it is exposed to 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 Bowsted's debt, for example, right? And and it has to it has to work to pay the debt. If not if not some, you know, it has to subsume the debt, right? So 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 for example, I mean, LTAT. I think as of 20, 2013, LTAT's group wide debt stood at about seven billion. You know, and of that amount, I think close to half of it just comes from Bowsted Holdings. So that's like huge amount that uh, the LTAT is exposed to. And then, of course, you have to repay the debt as well. So, 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 so it's not really spread out. And I think this 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 structure here goes back into it's a lot of history behind the structure, uh, the, this how it's set up this way, which I can't uh, unfortunately unpack at the moment because it happened way, 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 way back. <laughs> okay, I, I do want to ask though because I think what uh, you do say yeah. is that, and this is an expression used that the the the, the 
fund has a political nature, yes. right? And the question is whether that political nature of the fund right. uh, interferes in good governance or in sound corporate strategies. Okay, so so uh, yeah, because because LTAT, um, I mean, it's 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 created by an act. There's an act, uh, a parliament act that that governs LTAT, which minister or ministry it, it's also it's it's responsible to and all that. So that's why when we see um, regime change, you will see the whole musical chairs being played out again and again. Um, so, so, so it's exposed there. And I think a very good uh, example would be the former, uh, I mean, former defense minister, Mama Hassan, right? So this, so he recently, I mean, he said something last year that was actually pretty interesting, uh, that there was a uh, very interesting high-profile person who made a bid for Farmer Niaga and he wanted to buy it on the cheap. And this person, so then he said that, you know, he's not going to sell it, uh, you know, for cheap, you know, over my dead body. That was his famous quote that that, that happened. And uh, I think media reports after they came out to say, to, to dis- discover that this person was actually a, a politician, a former 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 minister. And so you, you can see that you have all of these things going on there that's actually be uh, away from the public eye. And we would only know about this because, we only know about this because Muhammad Hassan, came out to say it at the press conference. Yeah, this is very interesting because he also talked about how he didn't expect, uh, he didn't want to put pressure on the fund and didn't expect it to have uh, very high dividends. Correct. I mean, how, you know, when that's the aspirations of yes. the people uh, in charge, how does it impact the, what sounds like, you know, 100,000 or more yeah. uh, investors in the fund? Uh, you know, what are they looking at? I mean, it's their money that was put there by fiat, right? I mean, they had to do it. It was Correct. a government-directed thing. It's a compulsory contribution like, uh, I guess, our EPF is. Yes. So, of course, di- dividends come come into play, and it's important to, 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 uh, to yeah, for, for members, that's what you want, right? You, you, you want, you want gains on your, on your money, right? So, so I think that was the big issue in 2018, if you remember, uh, when Pakatan Harapan, uh, first took power and then you had the LTAT musical chair, uh, Lodin Kamarodin was out and then Nick Amnizan came in and then there was this big hoo-ha about, uh, some of the, 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 the issues that were in the fund. Uh, they, they issued, I mean, Nick Amnizan and her team uh, commissioned an audit, external auditor to do a forensic report. And I remember I was at that press conference and I remember asking, you know, why uh, can you, why isn't the report made public? And she was like, no, you know, we're not going to make this public. So until today, that report is not made public on what really happened during Lodin's time. But I think there was some, there's a summary of what happened and that was published by the media. And one of the things were the dividends, the high dividends that, 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 that uh, LTAT was pushing out at that time. I think there were some financial irregularities there, and um, and so 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 there was always this stress and pressure to deliver the dividends, and so that, that the source of the dividends became an an, an issue, and then of course when Nick Amazon took over, you had uh, the dividends were very low, and then it slowly started picking back up again at five, I think five percent for last year, so 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 there's always that pressure to to deliver. Yeah, fascinating because again, you know, something that perhaps a lot of us, maybe CPF contributors, but we don't. Uh, sorry, EPF contributors, <laughs> EPF contributors don't think about uh, when it comes to the LTAT. Okay, so I'm speaking to Emmanuel Samarista Samaratisa. He's a journalist and founder of the Malaysianist. So we're talking about the intersection of money and power. Something that he looks at. You can call. You can tweet us. Uh, you can send us a white note if you have ideas about this. Uh, we're going to be back with more stories. Keep it here. BFM eighty nine. 
Being first matters. BFM. 89.9. It's uh, 51 minutes past six. Uh, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutten. I'm with Emmanuel Samaratisa. He's the, a journalist and founder of The Malaysianist. We're talking about the intersection of power and money in Malaysia. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a WhatsApp or uh, sorry WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. If you want to share your thoughts or have questions for Emmanuel, we are going through a bunch of uh, stories that the Malaysianist has covered, and the next one on our list is Puspakom. Every mm. car driver, mm. I'm not a car driver, very famously I say, <laughs> uh, so I'm a public transport user. Every car driver knows Puspakom. Puspacom, right? And uh, just a quick note that uh, Puspacom has held this um, this contract with the government for about three decades, hasn't yes. it? Uh, to run uh, basically tests on your car's uh, suitability for the road. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we have that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good Do you way. drive a car? Yeah, I only have one car. Well. Okay, that's true. Your carbon footprint is modest. Yes. Okay, Manuel. <laughs> so, I mean, let's let's look at what is it that drove you, haha, uh, to the Puspacom story? Well, what drove me <laughs> would just basically be the names that. So, the Edge reported this, I think, uh, on February the fifth, right? Uh, that there's lobbying going on. Um, uh, for 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 the for the contract because this came after I think uh, Transport Minister Anthony Locke's statement that they want to make the the whole process a bit more com- competitive, right? Uh, they just do, they don't want to rely solely on Puspacom, and um, so there's like intense lobbying going around. And the two names that actually surfaced were Carsum and Caro. Now the Edge did reach out to them and I think Carsum uh, gave a no comment and Caro gave some kind of PR uh, reply. But uh, these these two players are basically you're talking about your tech, so-called tech uh, unicorns, you know. So you have these very interesting names surfacing right now. So that was one of the reasons why I was kind of attracted to the story. Okay, when I read the story, mm. I, I first struck with uh, th- uh, that a company uh, admittedly uh, controlled by, uh, well, it's Said Mokhtar, Said Mokhtar Al-Bukhari. I mean, he's a big name, of course, yes. and somebody that even someone like me would know. Correct. But how, did, how does any company get three decades worth of contracts? I mean, that's huge, right? Uh, what is it? say about the Malaysian government and the way it runs things, what does it say, I mean, is there anything positive to say about, you know, any company getting three decades worth of contracts? Um, you see, it, it's it's a very, it's, I mean, I, I've not dealt with Puspacom, so I can't really comment there. But of course, we, we are talking about, if you're talking about fostering competition and, and all that, then a, a very long a multi-generational concession, I, I, I mean, uh, I don't think it's 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 great because you you have a single dominant player, and you know with a very long runway like that, you know uh, Puspacom was able to really build itself as a as a as a nation national vehicle inspection company. So not only it's lucrative, but you're really looking at a very good uh, timeline to really set up a very strong business. And uh, that's the only single point, right? Until you 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 get a government like 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 what we're having right now, who wants to sort of uh, make the playing field a little bit more uh, competitive, 
and the workaround that some of these companies are now vying for the contract. So, for example, like Carsum and Caro, or Maituka. Maituka is the Malaysian uh, arm. It's because they, they do second-hand cars, right? And so because of that, they have developed an, uh, they've developed expertise in, in doing vehicle inspection as well. Yeah, so, okay, are we looking at a scenario where we're just going to go from one monopoly to another? I mean, maybe the monopoly nature of it is going to remain. It's just the question of who is, uh, you know, who's got that con- concession. Are we looking at actually uh, breaking up the system and there are many players? And is that efficient in a market that is relatively small like Malaysia's? I guess I guess from, from the sound message we are getting from, from uh, the minister, I guess it, it looks as... It looks as if there are going to be a number of players. So it's not only just Puspacom, but you you could go to some of some of the other the names around. And I guess we'll have to just wait and see how the market reacts to it. Really. So what is it interesting? Is it that here you have a story yes. about how things are changing? And yes. I, you know, look, when somebody's been making money from from a, a structure, a system that's that's lasted. 30 years, are they going to give up so easily? I mean, where is there room for the drama of resistance to change in your stories? <laughs> I think for this one, I am not too... It's, it's really hard to tell where's the resistance or the drama, right? But for now, I guess, you know, they have built up... They've had enough time to sort of... Uh, I mean, assuming they've used their time and resources well, they have built up a, a pretty a substantial concern, a, a sizable business. And so if they can't compete, then it's just... uh, (laughs) It'd be rather sad if they can't compete. But so what about these new players? I mean, I know there's just speculation at this moment, right? Uh, But is there something in the nature of these new uh, potential aspirants to this particular game that that signals something changing in the Malaysian economy or in the way the government thinks about the economy? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, from what, I'm get, from what I gather from this story, it seems that there, there is a certain, some kind of shift going on. But at the same, but at the same time, if you, if you consider the, 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 the ownership of some of these companies, right, uh, or the investors behind it. So, for example, you have uh, Karsum. Kazana is, a, is, a, is an investor. Uh, Caro. Permodala Nacional is an investor, so you still have Glicks uh, investing in this uh, in in these companies, but they are not maybe perhaps not the dominant uh, uh, investor in that sense. So you you have some of these tech upstarts, you know, people some of these guys who, startups or upstarts uh, startups, sorry, sorry. <laughs> because they've been around for some time, right? Unicorns. They might be actually uh, upstarts as well, but okay, yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. just... <laughs> so so you have these guys guys here coming, and um, I mean they have built a business based on their ability to digitalize things so oh. which is a bit different from 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 some of the traditional businesses and that interests you yeah yeah and how they how they are able to sort of compete in some some of these domains which which have been really you know uh, controlled by a very small group of businessmen okay fascinating it's something that i don't like i say don't naturally um uh you know uh, veer to uh, just because i'm not a car driver but again it's about the Malaysian economy. As you say, the intersection of money and power. I'm speaking to Emmanuel Samaratissa. He is the founder of The Malaysianist. We're talking about the stories that are changing the Malaysian landscape. Uh, remember, you can participate in this conversation. You can call us, double seven double three two nine hundred. Tweet us at BFM Radio. WhatsApp us at 018-789-8899. Want to hear your thoughts? Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Billions from me, BFM 89.9.
89.9, The Business Station. It's coming up to 7.08. Uh, you're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kutten. With me, Emmanuel Samartisa, founder of The Malaysianist. Uh, and we've been talking about various things, Puspacom and, uh, and and a lot of others. <laughs> I'm sort of escaping me <laughs> at this moment. Uh, but we've been asking you what you think about uh, the issue around um, JLICs uh, uh, and other kinds of, uh, uh, you know, business stories that have been in the news. And we have actually a voice note from Ravi Kumar. Unfortunately, Ravi, you can't, we don't have time to play your note, but uh, I'm going to summarize uh, one of the key messages that you had, and which is leave business to professionals. And this, I think, is a reference to the GLICs. What's your, what are your thoughts on this, Emmanuel? Yeah, I mean, that, that on paper sounds really, really good, isn't it? I mean, professionals, qualified people, we have that already. But the problem is that we are not addressing the bigger issue at play, which is that they are working in an environment that does not, in, in many ways, allow them to, to dissent, for example, or to be their own person. So you have to take orders from the minister and you always have to be, you know, in uh, in acquiescence to 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 the powers of the day. So it's <laughs> if you are back to the whole structure of back to the whole question of what really works for GLICs, right? I mean, if they have to still be responsible to the minister and to the political powers of the day, then. I mean, how how are they going to be really ind- truly independent? Right. So, I mean, one of the things that we touched on this when we, you know, when we kind of made reference to Mat Hassan and yeah. and the LTAT issue was what kind of incentive structures. I mean, he had said, and I was just quoting something from the newspapers that I mm-hmm. read. He says, "Oh, we don't expect very high dividends." I mean, those are typical kind of uh, incentive structures, right, for the leadership of any corporate body, you know, a government linked or otherwise. I mean, you want high dividends for your stakeholders. And is, is it possible to have those incentive structures in uh, with the right people? I, I think perhaps if, if we look at LTAT, maybe, I mean, I do not know the context of what he was saying, I mean, uh, when he said that, but I'm assuming that maybe he was trying to manage expectations. And so I think, uh, I mean, it's if, if he's not expecting high dividends, then it's only right for everyone in the fund to 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 expect a certain, you know. I mean, I mean, there must be some adjustments here and there, especially at the leadership level, I guess. So, but then the, these things, I mean, unless they make it public, we we, we wouldn't know. Right. Yeah. So, okay, again, the wall of uh, opaqueness that yeah. surrounds many of our GLICs. Okay, let's talk about uh, this next story. Vincent Tan is suing Spanko and the Malaysian government for right. not bagging. Contract in 2018. What contract are we talking about? And why, why are you interested in this story? This whole, this whole fleet uh, management uh, contract, right? Again, it's one of these old classic uh, concessions that, that date back to the 90s. And um, in 2018, there was supposed to, uh, the concession ended in 2018. So I think about 25 year concession or something like that. And I think. Uh, the government opened up for for, for bidders to, to 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 come in, and then it whittled down to a fight between the incumbent, uh, which is Spanko, and then you have Brajaya Naza, right? They 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 came in as a consortia uh, to to bid for, I mean, to 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 get the the tender. <clears throat> So I think Vin, uh, Vincent Tan is claiming that, you know, I mean, they, they received an LOI, letter of intent, and then uh, the, the whole deal collapsed and fell th- through after Sheraton. 
right? And then uh, now he's coming back because to to uh, coming to sue the Malaysian government and to sue Spanko, uh, citing the loss the loss of the concession. And basically, he didn't get the concession, right? So he wants the concession. So he's he's suing for that. So it's a big fight here. Okay, but it, what it does reveal, I mean, whatever the outcome, and I know yeah, you're not sure. a lawyer. I don't yeah. know if you're legally trained. No, I'm not legally trained. trained. Okay. <laughs> so don't <laughs> go down that road. But I do want to ask you about the man behind Spanko, right. because this is to M, if you're still listening, yeah. this is the story you're going to get, right? So this is Robert Tan Hua Chun. Mm. Uh, you call him a former hotshot, and, uh, and you gave us... In your piece, which is very nicely written, I must say, this is the stuff that I actually enjoy reading when it comes to business and business stories, uh, which is a potted history of the man who began yep. as the Casio King. Yeah. And um, I, I personally find these uh, histories fascinating. Tell us a little. Give us that little story about the Casio King. Right. So Rob, Robert Tan. So Robert Tan is known as the Casio King because he he has uh, sold. He's the first and the only distributor of Casio uh, watches. Um, calculators and musical instruments, right? So this goes back to the 70s. Uh, I'm not sure if you were born then, Sherrod. I was. I was really? In fact, yes, I was walking around in short pants, but I was born. I, I was around. Right. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't. So you weren't. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Humble brag yeah. there. Okay, go ahead. But anyway, so... Uh, he and he began as a, uh, I mean, based on what he he has said, he began as a door-to-door salesman. So he was he was a very entrepreneurial person. He had to convince people to to buy uh, Casio watches at a time where people were looking at European watches, you know. And and he had to really not only convince Malaysians to 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 buy and purchase Casio watches or Casio stuff, but he had to convince the Japanese back then to give him distributorship. And so until I mean, in his own words, that. That relationship has been very kind of like a, uh, a mutual kind of thing. Uh, there's no contract, nothing whatsoever. Uh, and it's just based on a... Uh, I don't know, and it's done well for Casio because I, I remember yes. when I, you know going to school and, and that Casio was a name that everybody knew. Everybody began to have some sort of Casio product. Correct. And now the, the company that is, uh, the listed company that is uh, selling, I mean, that's the investment holding company for this is Marco Holdings. And it's an illiquid uh Stock because it's it's primarily held by the family, Robert Tan's family, but it has been profitable, and it has. I mean, over the five, I think we've put out financials over the past five years. Uh, it has been a profitable concern. Okay, so the thing that this success leads him to is to develop some really interesting connections, and this is something that also I think business journalists and we're coming back to some of the earlier right. themes that we had about connections. Um, and there was, in fact, in your story, um, a mention of a trip to Manila. So you know, a trip to Manila that included the late uh, Ting Pei King, uh, the, the former finance minister Daim Zainuddin. Also, uh, then a renowned chief, Halim mm. Saad, Ananda mm. Krishnan of Maxis, Petronas mm. chief, uh, Hassan Merikan, uh, Tadjun Ramli. Uh, does everybody holiday together? What is this? <laughs> Tell us about the Manila trip. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I, we don't have that much. We don't have much information because it happened really way back in the nineties, I think. But at that time, I think it was like a high-powered kind of kind of group that went to the Philippines to to get you know investments, right? So that's as much as I have publicly. Uh, but it shows you that this was the the group of people that. This was the this was the group that you wanted to be in, you know the <laughs> the cool group, like. the cool the cool group. 
And okay, so and maybe cool being with the cool people, yeah. uh, doors open, opportunities yes. arise. I mean, nothing doesn't suggest anything that's illegal or nefarious sure. or whatever, right? It just yeah. means that there are connections between uh, people in the in the corporate elite and Correct. in the one percent. Yes. Uh, and is that something that you're going to continue looking at? Because where where does this story lead us to in terms of this um, bid by Vincent Tan in his suit? So 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 basically, I guess. Uh, you know when 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 Spanko, uh, I mean Spanko was able to build. Uh, I mean Spanko itself is is a very it's a cash cow. I mean um, uh, it gets an average just an average year on year profit about like say about thirty million ringgit or so. It makes about a huge amount of sales, right? So so it's like a golden goose. Every everybody wants this 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 thing, you know. And 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 it's interesting that you know. When Robert Tan was holding this this concession uh, during the first round, I think in two thousand and four there was a sort of like a uh, a, a review of of the concession, and um, despite the review and the audit, um, it, it still remained a very prized thing to have, you know. Right. Okay. So the Casio King continues. Yeah. That's a story I think we're going to yeah. have to revisit uh, uh, later on. Okay. So I'm speaking to Emmanuel Samaratisa. He's the founder and the one of the major writers behind the Malaysianist uh, website that seeks to shine a light on the intersection of money and power. Remember, we want your thoughts on this matter as well. You can call, you can tweet, uh, you can WhatsApp us. Uh, but we'll be back with one last story, and this is much more up uh, my alley. It's politics. Right. So keep it here, BFM 89.9. Best for money, BFM 89.9. It's 7.18. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sharad Kutin. My guest, Emmanuel Samartisa, founder of The Malaysianist, a, a website that seeks to shine a light on the intersection of money and power. Remember, you can join this conversation by calling us, tweeting us, or sending us a voice note or WhatsApp at uh, 018-789-8899. We have time for just one last story. Unfortunately, I, I, I'm really enjoying this time with you, Emmanuel. Uh, and the story that you chose, and it's not a story I chose, but yeah. the story you chose uh, takes away from you know, business world. And right. it, it gets us, uh, you know, headlong into the world of politics. Why did you choose to to, to want to talk about this? Najib's, uh, you know, remission of his uh, sentence or pardon is, is a kind of a broad code word for what happened. And it's an impact on both the PKR and the DAP. Why is that that why is that interesting? All right. Before I answer your question, I think there was a question by a reader who who asked, "How is Tan related to Desmond Lim?" Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah. So this is. Oh, what, you want to answer that? Yeah, first? I'll okay, answer okay, that okay. one. Right. So basically, Tan's sister, Cindy Tan Kevi Young, she is married to the to, to Desmond Lim, the property tycoon. So there you have it. Oh right. So family <laughs> relations. You know. Uh, yeah. So this. Um, okay. You know. Right. Sorry, I missed that. I yeah. forgot about that it's question. Right. Very important question because uh, I think the, there are systems to find these connections, right? And I think it's called handshakes or something. There's some. Uh, there, there are some. There are some uh, platforms these days, but I think this one uh, is more publicly available. So it's just about. Uh, okay. Just and marriage is marriage does in fact seal uh, relationships. It did in the ancient world and it does in the contemporary world as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, it does. Okay, so let's get right. back to sorry. Let's okay. get back to the the pardon. To politics. Uh, uh, yeah, to politics, right? Yeah, to politics. Uh, you know, I mean, I was just reading about how uh, I mean, like yesterday, FMT wrote, wrote a story on uh, how some of the PKR grassroots are really unhappy with 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 the whole uh, thing about Najib, right? Having his sentence halved and and all that. Um, and you also had a lot of uh, comments and criticisms towards the DAP uh, when Tony Tony Pua was, um, uh, I think he was uh, was called up right for for, for questioning for yeah. questioning. Yeah. And, I, and and Tony himself replied that he didn't expect uh, the party to publicly come out as long as they keep continuing to, to govern. I'm just I'm I'm paraphrasing him, but I think there's something along those lines. Um, and for me, I think it's it's really. I mean, it, it, I was just thinking about this because I mean, it, it's the one whole one in DB scandal really, you know, has uh, has sort of like a very damaging effect on 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 all of us, I guess. And um, and to see that playing out uh, within some of the larger political parties is pretty interesting because you know how are they going to react to these things? You know, this is the reality that they probably have to accept. Um, you know, maybe they have to. Uh, sort of just uh, live with it, you know, under the name of under the, under the so-called real politic kind of kind of thing. But it's just pretty interesting to see how they are angry and frustrated, but at the same time they have to deal with this <laughs> reality. <laughs> but why did you put it in the mix? Because I mean, you your focus generally, I mean, with the newsletters, is business. Why it, does this and could this have an impact on business? Uh, I mean. <sighs> I I I'm not. Too, I mean, one MDB itself. I mean, the, the structures that created a one MDB, just the structures, are still around today, right? Uh, Ministry of Finance Inc. is still around today. Uh, that's a very powerful um, uh, entity. It be, it's basically the ministry Minister of Finance. Uh, for all that talk of separating the finance and the prime minister portfolio, we are not having that right now, right? We do have we do have a second finance. Minister, but second finance minister is more. I'm not sure what to call it. I, I don't think he's. It's it's very different from being the finance minister himself. So we have the structures there, and so it, it's it's kind of concerning that these structures are not uh, being addressed at the moment. So, but I, I would I was just thinking about the whole political story because you have parties like you know um, that, that that have a very good, strong urban base. And now they 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 have and and they they too didn't they had a very, they had a huge disdain for one MDB and then now you're going to now now you have <laughs> all of these things coming around and how do you react to that you know right so because um, you know connected to this because was also a story that you wanted to potentially talk about which is had to do with Lim Guan Heng and uh, Ong Kian Ming and I, I wonder about that because. Um, Again, the question of political realities just in the coalition, the, in the unity government, but also uh, the question of how political parties, even when they are dedicated to democracy and human rights and all yeah. that, they themselves internally uh, might have structures that don't resemble something but uh, as fluid as a democratic system might be. So, how I mean, how do you scale? Is it just that we have to accept the realities that when you deal with human beings and the institutions that they create, they're never going to be perfect? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I guess there's always that, that, that tension there, isn't it? Um, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. Is there is there any bottom-up mechanism in place that we can uh, hold these guys to account, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, I think a long time ago we were talking about recall, recall elections and things like that, right? But uh, uh, that's on an 
uh, on an elected representative level. But uh, we don't see all these things moving yet, so we don't have this, this structure. So I guess that's something that we probably have to <laughs> sadly <laughs> live with. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So, uh, you know, it's a nice way to tie things up, and I, I really look forward to uh, the stories that are going to come up. I don't know if it's, uh, uh, it's too much for me to ask you, what are the stories that you're going to be looking at in the near future that, you know, if somebody who subscribes to your, uh, to your newsletter right. I, uh, will get? I mean, what are the... I don't know if this is like a promotional bit of the show, but, you know, tell us, what could we look forward to? I, mean, I, I, I guess I guess you, uh, the, 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 the brand of the Malaysianists is money and power. And so we'll, I'll always be there covering uh, corporate ownership. I'll be covering uh, government-linked institutional uh, institutions. I'll be covering government-linked companies, deals, and things like that, you know, and we'll always be covering them. And not only, and it doesn't necessarily need to be government, even even uh, listed companies or regular corporations as well. So, yeah, it's, yeah, just... Just stay tuned. I mean, just tuned, yeah. I, mean I know you have a lot of, um, so there are people like, Myself, I admit, I you know, I'm, I'm not admit, I'm proudly, you know, crow uh, from the, the, the <laughs> tallest you, building that. <laughs> that I'm actually a subscriber. Uh, not everybody who writes into us, uh, <laughs> you, you know, or to you, is a subscriber. But um, but tell us, I mean, you've got a thousand people who are on your subscriber yeah. list now. Um, do they do? Is there any kind of feedback on what you write? I mean, do they kind of um, comment? Uh, no, I mean, no, I mean, the, the ones who leave a note are those who subscribe annually, and the notes that I've received so far are very positive, and I and I'm and I'm thankful for that, for that because you know running your own show it's it can be a lonely journey, you know. So yeah, yeah. Well, I understand, and I'm, I'm you know I'm uh, I hope you I wish you all the success. I hope you come back on the show uh, sometime uh, cool. soon and and talk about these business stories and sort of unpack it for us who are not the kind of regular readers of the business section the papers or, or, you know, of a portal because they, in fact, are shaping the world that we live in. So thank you very much, Emmanuel. Thanks, Sharad. Appreciate it. I've been speaking to Emmanuel Samaratisa. He's the founder of The Malaysianist. We've been talking about the intersection of power and money in Malaysia. You can keep your thoughts coming. You can call us. You can tweet us. and You can send us a WhatsApp. Uh, keep it here, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9. The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.